Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from Italy Beyond the Obvious. Planning a dream trip to Italy? Don't go without exploring italybeyondtheobvious.com. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but we do have a very different, hopefully very interesting kind of show lined up for you today. Before we kick off, I just want to remind you, and those of you who have listened all along know this very, very well, Tiffany has experienced a major catastrophic equipment failure lately, making her mic sound different and really, honestly, not as well as I would like it to sound. We are in the process of replacing her equipment, but we certainly could use your donations and support of the show to make that happen. If you love this show, please help us get Tiffany back on track by supporting us either through Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. There you'll find a whole bunch of thank you gifts. You can choose which level you want to donate at per month. Or you can do a one-time donation by visiting our website, thebittersweetlife.net, and clicking on the donate button. That'll go through PayPal and get the money straight to me so I can get this equipment straight to her. Really do appreciate your help. And now, as I mentioned, a different kind of show today. Leslie McDaniel is a coach and a personality type consultant. She helps people identify their personality type using the Myers-Briggs system. She says that the point of knowing your type is to learn and grow and get closer to your potential. And she thought it would be very interesting to diagnose me, your host, Katie Sewell. She also suggested that knowing my type might even help me figure out what kind of travel would suit me best. So we jumped online and recorded our session. We actually talked for almost two hours, her asking me tons and tons of questions, some of which I had no good answer for. You're going to listen in today on just a part of that conversation and see what she comes up with. If you've been a longtime listener, you can determine if you agree with her assessment. I hope you enjoy listening in, and I hope it encourages you to look a little closer into what motivates you to do what you do. Thank you so much for doing this with me. We're going to identify your type in the Myers-Briggs system. And then because I know of your interest in travel and, you know, because of your podcast, I will will use that sort of as a touch point. Okay. I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions. In that, you know, I'm trained to listen for certain things and I'm going to be li- listening for how your brain is wired, basically. Okay. And at the end, I will tell you what I think your type is. And that's when you can tell me if it resonates with you or not. Okay. Can you describe a little bit what Myers-Briggs is? Yeah. So Myers-Briggs is a personality type system. It helps you understand how your brain is wired. So it's not about behavior. It's really about your mental wiring. And that's pretty powerful when you know that because it's not just about a label. It's about using that information to make better decisions, to get along with people in the ways that work for you, to communicate and so on. All right. Well, let's get started. I'm on this adventure with you. Yeah. Yeah, So Katie, I ask everyone the same question to begin with, and that is, what do you love to do? What do you love to do so much that the only reason you would stop is because you're exhausted, you need to sleep or something like that? What do I love? What do I love? I think probably when I'm in a really engaging conversation with a very good friend. There have been 
moments with certain friends of mine where I'll look up and I'll realize, oh, it's three in the morning. <laughs> you know, we should probably be done. But that whole time you've just been so wrapped up in each other. So I think that's probably one of the things that I love the most is like a really, really deep, big, intimate conversation. I heard you mention philosophical conversation. So you said engaging conversation. You said deep, uh, intimate, philosophical. So can you give me an example of what are some of your favorite topics to have these kinds of conversations around? Uh, I love talking about writing. I love sort of contemplating, although I find it sometimes very uncomfortable. I, I love contemplating the quote unquote meaning of life, the, the bigger questions the deep, intimate connections that we have with certain people in our lives. I love talking about that stuff. I love talking about books. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of things I love talking about, I guess. I mean, another thing I would say, actually, if I was going to pile on one other thing that I really love is I'm pretty fascinated by nature and the inner workings of nature. We keep ourselves a little bit too outside of the natural world. So that's another thing I really love the air, the breeze, just the environment. So pretty deep conversations and then also the environment. Are these interests you've, you've always had or are these things you've developed an interest in? I think they've been around all along. Okay, so we're gonna go just a little different direction. I'm gonna give you two scenarios and I would like to know which one is more of a nightmare situation for you. <laughs> okay. 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 Let's say that you're, uh, we've got two different kinds of trips. One is a trip when you get to go and be all alone by yourself for seven days, but absolutely no contact with any other humans. Okay. The other option is you are going on a trip where you're going to spend the entire seven days with a group of people, a house full of people, mm. some people, <laughs> some people, you know, some people you don't know. And the only time you can be by yourself is when you sleep. Um, I wouldn't consider them either a nightmare situation. So let's see, which would I think is worse? That is a really hard question. I've done so many of the second that I know that it can be hard, but it also can be really rewarding. I haven't done a lot of travel just alone. I would hate to say that that would be a nightmare. Hmm, this is really hard. So I'm hearing you say the first one is what you've been more drawn to or you've had more experience no in. no the, the traveling alone is what i have very a little experience in and, and i think i'm slightly afraid of it you know it would be hard for me to say i'm gonna go hike alone in europe for a month that would be something i'd have to work up to so i guess we'll say number one if we have to pick one and what is it that makes you afraid of it i can get lonely and i can get depressed and so I would have to really keep an optimistic view. I think it would have been more of a nightmare scenario for me about 10 years ago than it would be now. Now I think I'd enjoy it. So you mentioned that you get really, you could get lonely or depressed. Is the fact that you are alone what makes you depressed? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. I think it's just, you know, getting rattly. You just sort of like rattle around in your own thoughts too much. It's nice to have other people's input and energy. How willing are you to throw yourself into new situations? Very. Very willing. Okay. Your move starting with Rome, right? You were willing to throw yourself into that. Um, and then your move San Francisco to Seattle, you guys chose to buy a house. You kind of threw yourself into that process, right? Yeah. It sounded like it was pretty compact. It was. Yeah. It's interesting though, because Derek would tell you that I do all those things reluctantly. So for big life decisions, I think I always hem and haw and drag my feet about it a lot. But when it comes to just like you know, if a friend was to call me up and say, do you want to go shoot bows and arrows this afternoon? I'd be like, sure, <laughs> why not? You know, 
I'll give it a try. I do think that with big decisions, I can come off as bold, but I'm definitely regretful. I am sentimental. I don't make big decisions lightly. So I don't know. That's another mixed answer, but um, move to Rome, Katie, and I'll do it. But then, I'll, but I'll have to drag my feet about it for a while first. <laughs> and what are you doing while you're dragging your feet? I think I'm reflecting. Um, I think it's part of the processing of what was good about every experience. You know, and the sadness of the things that you'll let go from that experience. I'm somehow processing it and cataloging it in some way and really seeing all the good things that came of something and feeling sad about what I'm letting go. So it's kind of a, a time of reflection when you're looking back at whatever the current experience is, reflecting on those memories and thinking about what uh, you're going to be missing, basically. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. And I think with the big decision to move to Rome, I had to decide to give up who I thought I was to do that. I was not a person that goes and lives abroad at that time. That was, I would have never thought I would do something like that. I had to let go of who I thought I was going to be and embrace this idea of who this other person could be. So given the idea that we're all unique in some way, even if we have two people, they're clones, as soon as they started having different experiences, they would be different people. With that as a foundation, like how different do you feel from most people? Or do you feel like most people? I feel pretty different from most people, I think. Not like in an alienated kind of way, but I know that I see the world in a way that most people around me don't see it. And if you could pinpoint one way that you see the world differently, mm. well, what would that be? It's probably reflected in a lot of my answers. I would say one of the ways I see it is I really don't see a lot of black and whites. I don't think that there's really easy answers for things. Whereas I have friends who really do believe that certain rules can be followed and that's the way that you're supposed to live. I just can't see things that way. Yeah. Have you always been that way? That's a very hard question to answer. I, I, um, no, I think I, I think I, well, it's complicated because I, I was raised to believe that life should be a certain way. And I always struggled with the fact that I couldn't fit that. So I don't know that I always was like that, but, um, but maybe that means I was always like that. I don't know. I always felt like I, that wasn't being authentically me if I was going to follow exactly what I was told to do. Do you typically see other people's other perspectives really easily? Oh, yeah. Yep. So much so that I cannot always know how I feel about something. Which rules you more, your head or your heart? What's the differentiation there? How do you see it? I guess heart would be emotional, head would be intellectual. I'm probably more ruled by emotional. All right, so here's another either or. In which one are you more comfortable? Okay. okay. So you have a situation coming up in which you can do anything you want to prepare for it, and you, you do that. Or uh, you have a situation where you can't prepare for it, but you know when you get there, you have the full freedom to improvise. Uh, I'd probably prepare, I think. I mean, I'm kind of notorious for reading the entire book of the author rather than just the notes that they send me before I talk to somebody. So <laughs> that's a little over-preparing. Yeah, does that transfer to other areas of your life? Like maybe you're planning for a trip or travel or generally a preparer? No, no. Actually, with travel, I'd almost rather somebody else tell me where to go and they figure out what we're doing when we get there. I can't even tell you how many places I've shown up and not known anything about it. I like an element of surprise or something like that. It's If I have to act as a professional, I'm going to try to be prepared. I guess that's the difference. If I'm going to just be 
kicking around the pool, Katie. I'm just going to show up. For like fun and play and relaxation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like I don't want to have to figure out every restaurant we're eating in, eating at every single day. Like I want to just stumble into a place. So how much does visual clutter bother you? Very much. You know, there's a certain kind of creative clutter that I appreciate where it looks like, oh, people did amazing things in here. But in general, aesthetics are really important to me. So I'm, I'm pretty clear on your type, I think, but I'm <laughs> going to ask a few questions to check my bias because, um, okay. you know, I want to make sure that I'm not just hearing what I think I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, how much alone time do you feel like you need to feel like yourself in a day? Um, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't mind having at least an hour or two, <laughs> you know, I probably could get away with not having any, but I would start to get irritated after a while. I mean, that said, I've, oh, I've spent so much time living alone and stuff that I must prefer that to roommates or something like that. So, you know, when I have all day during the work day, I don't, generally mind that. Do you see that time as really important to being able to function? No, no. I equally thrive on collaborating with other people. How aware are you of social norms, you know, what's expected in different situations? Uh, pretty aware. Yeah, I think so. Okay. How aware of you are you of the approval and disapproval of other people? Um, fairly unaware, I would say. Unless it comes to my family. <laughs> but in general, I think I'm less aware of the disapproval of people than the approval of people, if that makes sense. I have a tendency to think that people are not against me or that they wouldn't care. How quickly do you usually process things internally? Very slowly, I think. Are you always running simulations in your head of what you think is going to happen down the line? Hmm... No, I don't think so. It could be wishful thinking occasionally. But... So you don't often find yourself speculating about what could be? Oh, well, surely. What could be? But that, I mean, I think that that's like imagine. It's like wishing, hopefully, hoping. Yeah, but it sounds like you it sounds like you have some filters there that you're holding back a little bit on that. Sure. That you have, you actually do, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you do have sort of these forward thinking simulations in your mind, but you also have a realistic part where you're like nope that's not possible <laughs> yeah is that true yeah that's probably true yeah okay. certainly i can get caught in loops where i'm like oh yeah that's never going to happen and then somehow i'll start thinking but maybe it could happen in this way you know or something like that doesn't everybody do that a little bit right. <laughs> <laughs> not actually no yeah. <laughs> but it, it depends on their type right there are lots of types that do that but that's part of the cool thing about knowing about type is that you immediately have a clear understanding of other people Mm -hmm. And it broadens your perspective, how other people could possibly think about things like you were just talking about or get to the a decision that they've come to. It's really cool. And it just increases our understanding of each other. The whole system was really created by two women around the time of World War II. And they wanted to help women who are entering the workforce figure out what kind of work would be well suited to them. And it was also two very idealistic personality types. And the greater vision behind the, their assessment was if we could understand each other better, we could actually prevent things like war. So it's pretty idealistic in, in its inception. The idea is not really that it puts you in a box, whether it's Enneagram, Myers-Briggs or anything else. It's identifying the box you're already in. Have you ever told someone to follow their dream? 
I think I do that on this show all the time. <laughs> That's kind of what the show is about to a degree, yeah. right? It became that way. Follow your dream, but cautiously and know that there's going to be a lot of pain if you do. <laughs> <laughs> That's because they have me at the helm. But uh, I mean, never using those words, I don't think. I would never say it like that. How would you phrase it? I don't know. It would be totally tailored to whatever the person's particular circumstances are. I think I would just try to encourage them to not feel like what they're doing, if it's not what they really want to be doing, is the only safe option. You know, there is life outside of whatever it is <laughs> that they're currently in. Do you do that for yourself as well? Do you um, remind yourself that there are other ways you can use your skills? There are other options. I try to, yeah. Because I'm constantly trying to figure out what I'm doing for a living right now. I'm having to do that a lot. <laughs> so it's hard, though. Yeah, it is hard. Have you been in that space since you quit your radio job? Is that? Yeah, pretty much. It's been an ever, ever flowing exploration since then. And prior to that, did you feel like you would always be a radio producer? I apologize if I'm not giving you the correct title. No, that's fine. Um, I hoped I wouldn't always be a radio producer. I hoped I would be a radio host eventually, but I thought I wouldn't ever leave. Like I thought that I would always be working in professional radio. Well, and do you consider what you're doing now professional radio or? I mean, by what measure? Um, <laughs> in the fact that it doesn't have a professional paycheck, no. <laughs> I mean, I think I bring my professional talents to it but I, I, it is different the world of podcasting is different than what it is to work in live terrestrial radio it's just a it's a different animal it's missing that gorgeous live aspect which i love about real radio what is it that you love about that i mean it is kind of that show up and improv thing that you were asking about before like you prepare for it but really once it's going whatever's going to happen is going to happen <laughs> um particularly if you're involving callers or you know, a live guest, you never quite know what a guest is going to do. And you don't have any chance to change it. Whatever happens is what's going to happen. And I kind of love that about it. You can be prepared, but you don't have to wring your hands about it because it's just whatever happens is what happened. And then it's over and you move on. You don't have to sit here and cut tape for five hours. You know, you just move on. And I, I like that about it that it's a little bit more like being on the theater stage. You know, if the performance doesn't go well, the next day you just give it another try. And I like the energy of that a lot, you know, because everybody sort of rises to a different occasion when you have to be on the spot. Is it a bit of an adrenaline rush? Yeah, it can be. And how do you feel about those adrenaline rushes? Oh, I, li I love them. I love them. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I love adrenaline. I'm all for it. Is but, it the yeah. kind of thing you can overdo, the adrenaline rushes, or um, you have a pretty good handle on it? Uh, there have been moments in my life when I've certainly overdone it, but I think I have a good handle on it in general. Like, I'm not base jumping every weekend. Yeah. Tell me about your relationship with conflict. I'm probably a little conflict averse. I'm a peacekeeper, certainly. Do you ever actively avoid unplanned sensory experiences, like new food, new experiences in general that involve your senses somehow? There are definitely certain things with food that I would prefer to avoid. Didn't you make a New Year's resolution last year or something yeah. related to food, eating something? <laughs> yeah, I had to eat oysters. Ugh. Yeah, most of my aversions come from seafood usually. It would be very hard for me to live in Rome and have to do the seven courses of New Year's Eve fish every year. 
that's like a real deterrent for me to move to Italy. I'm going to call it there. Okay. I could be totally off. And part of my personality type is that I process later. So I'm going to go ahead and go through with you what I think your type is. I'm curious to see how you feel about it. If you don't resonate with it, that's okay. I, we can go back and look at it again. All right. I think your type might be ENFJ. Okay. And so we're going to go through those letters and talk about what they mean to see if it resonates with you first. So ENFJ, um, the E is the first letter and it's the choices there are introvert or extrovert. Mm -hmm. And those letters identify uh, where you focus your energy. There's a lot of confusion about introverts and extroverts. The main thing is which world you feel is the real world. Is it your inner world or the external world? As an extrovert, you would be more focused on the external world, on people, on those conversations you were talking about, um, action, uh, getting things done. You would be more focused on spending your energy in that external world as opposed to going internal. Everybody has an extroverted and an introverted part, so we all do both. But this letter is identifying which one you would prefer to spend your energy in if you had the choice. Does that sound like you? Yeah, extrovert, yeah. Yeah, and you said I like to reflect, right, when I'm making decisions. I do like, it'd be great if I had three or four hours alone, but I kept hearing that it's more the alone scenarios that are not as comfortable, that you could take them or leave them. The traveling, I haven't really done a lot of traveling alone. There could be reasons for that other than being an extrovert, but that added with everything else indicates that you are focused more externally than internally. Even some of the questions, an introvert could have this trouble too, but some of the questions that are forcing you to go inside, you're like, I'm not really sure. I don't know, you know, <laughs> I'm having to really think about this. So, so that's the first letter. All right. So the second letter is either intuition or sensing. This determines how you like to learn or take in new information. As an intuitive, you are going to be more focused on what things mean. The bigger picture, you're going to be more interested in what's behind the curtain than what's in front of the curtain. More so than mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. the factual, what's happening right now, what's immediately observable in front of me. Now, we all use both sides again, but it's about which side you prefer. And I heard many examples of your intuitive nature, starting from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the kinds of conversations that you like to have, they're philosophical. You think about the end of life, you know, you think about death, you think about the bigger questions of life, the meaning of life. These are all very intuitive things. Not that those who prefer sensing won't think about them or can't. It's just not going to be that as interesting to mm -hmm. them as it would to an intuitive. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, yeah. All right, so the third question is feeling or thinking. Those are the two options. Again, this is about preferences. So which side you prefer? We all think and we all feel. But I, I believe that you make your decisions based on feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and feeling, people who prefer feeling, will look at situations as if they were almost part of it and how their decision, decisions are going to impact people mm -hmm. or honor a set of values whether it's their own or groups or in organizations. I like to think or explain it this way. So there's a group you, for feeling you would be inside the group making the decision. If you were a thinker, you would be on the outside looking at things more analytically from mm -hmm. a detached perspective. If you were a thinker, it wouldn't be that you never consider people, but it's only one piece of data mm -hmm. and it's not the most important data. 
for a feeler, you also are going to use logical, analytical pieces of data, but it's not the most important to you. How it impacts people and values is most important to you. Would yeah. you say that sounds like you? Yeah, that sounds right. All right. And then the last question or the last letter is either J or P. So this is the options are judging or perceiving, judger or perceiver. Mm-hmm. And this uh, letter describes your approach to the outside world. I didn't spend a lot of time on this either, just because mm-hmm. even things just as your appearance and how you're appearing to me on video and seeing the background here, <laughs> but even the questions you answered um, indicated that you prefer organization in your external world mm-hmm. and freedom in your internal world. Mm-hmm. So if you were a perceiver, you would, you would like the opposite. You would prefer freedom in the external world and organization internally. Mm. Does that resonate with you as a yeah, I, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. We all love freedom when we all love organization, structure, and things like that, but it's just which world you prefer it in. So those who prefer judging are going to most likely prefer things to be more planned, organized, structured, not always. Like, for example, when you travel, you may like things to be more open-ended. That's often the case with both judgers and perceivers. My husband is a perceiver, for example, and at work, he has to be very judger-like, right? So he Mm -hmm. likes to be his perceiver self when he's relaxed and comfortable. Yeah, so ENFJ. Okay, so that all resonates with you? Yeah. Are you interested in hearing what those letters mean? Sure. Okay. Yeah. And this is kind of like the second level of verification. (laughs) If this makes sense to you, then it is pretty likely that it's what we would call your best fit type. Okay. Okay. We're going to look at what we call the cognitive functions in the relationship to a car. The idea here is that everyone has a driver and a co-pilot in the front seat, and then they have a 10-year-old and a 3-year-old in the back seat. The driver is what we call our flow state. And for an ENFJ, that function is called extroverted feeling. So it's a feeling, decision-making function that's oriented externally. People who have extroverted feeling uh, are all about understanding those interpersonal relationships and dynamics. Um, It's about being able to read a room easily and see kind of what's going on there. It's about having their finger on the pulse of social norms and expectations. And so people who have extroverted feeling often, uh, especially as a driver, they often are going to be more concerned about other people's needs than their own. You easily can tell what people need. Mm -hmm. Um, That's actually a gift for you. Like that's a really strong superpower that you have you know, as you're interviewing people, you can probably pretty easily tell like if they're with you, if they're not with you, how to dig in, or maybe if they're not quite revealing something to you, like you have a pretty good understanding of that, which is partly skill, but it's also built in. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. The second one, which we call the co-pilot, is an area for growth. For an ENFJ, it's your uh, learning function. So it's introverted intuition. Now here's where you get the ability to shift into perspectives, right? And to see what other people are thinking. It's really about the ability to watch your mind form patterns. It was pretty clear to me that you used introverted intuition early on as well, because you frequently asked me to clarify the perspective that I was asking the question from, which is (laughs) something that a perspective user user does. But you said, well, it depends, you know, it depends on the perspective. I I could see it this way and I could see it this way. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing, of course, but um, that's evidence of your co-pilot. It's called the greatest area for growth because 
for most extroverts, it's harder to go internal, to slow down, to spend that time contemplating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It may not be hard for you uh, based on some of the things I've heard you say, but introverted intuition thrives in almost like sensory deprivation. So Mm -hmm. as much as you can deprive your senses of any input, you allow that function to just work. And it brings you immediate insights a lot of times, uh, just out of the blue. And you Mm -hmm. don't know where it's come from. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, sure. And that's not true for everyone. (laughs) That's a gift. So your driver with your co-pilot, your ability to have insight into other people, how they're feeling, what they're thinking, that is an amazing strength of yours. As an interviewer, I can't imagine a better combination. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm interviewer is a very minimal title for you, but as someone who spends their life learning people's stories and sharing Mm -hmm. them, like that's an amazing combination to have. So the 10 year old, then we're looking the back seat. These are like, yeah, these are like the kids and they have an important part of the family or they play an important part of the family too. The 10 year old function for you would be something we call extroverted sensing. And this is where you would go when you're healthy in a healthy way for play. So this is where I asked you about the adrenaline rushes and the sensory experiences. You can really like having those. Extroverted sensing is all about what's happening right now. It's immediately happening in front of you. So you see, even though it's kind of the exact opposite of what I just described, the co-pilot, the introverted intuition, which Mm -hmm. is all about kind of future patterns, future pacing. This one is all about what's happening right now. Now, the three-year-old, the last one, is called introverted thinking for you. Even though it's a thinking function, you might think it's more objective. It's actually very subjective. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, People who use it well, like people who have it up here in the driver or the co-pilot, they can really easily spot inconsistencies in arguments. They can find that piece of information that's missing or left out. Having it here in the three-year-old is where you're going to go when you're under stress and it's a blind spot. So under stress, it means that you're probably going to be pretty critical and not just critical, but critical of yourself. Does that resonate with you? Like the critical Mm -hmm. nature, the self-critical piece under stress? Yeah. Sure. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to think about. I did just dump a lot of information on you. And I know (laughs) it's, if it's something that's really new to you, you might be processing this. Yeah. This may be an impossible question to answer, but since we've talked about it on the show, we've always tried to get at who are the people who never stop moving? The type that will be in a place for a couple of weeks and then we'll go somewhere else and then we'll go somewhere else and we'll go somewhere else. And especially the people, not, not that are serial expats where they spend two years in Switzerland but then, and then two years in Germany, but more the people who are constantly on the move. Do you have any guess what personality type that is? Well, I have more of a guess of the driver than the whole type. There can be a lot of reasons why, you know, again, it's, it's why you do it, not just what you do, it's why you do it. But that sounds very much like a person leading with something called extroverted intuition. Intuition oriented towards the external world is all about like, what new information can I learn in this external world? It jumps from one thing to the next. Sometimes it will just push metaphorical buttons just to see what happens, right? I've got a friend who is an ENFP and she leads with that extroverted intuition. Um, She will literally knock down walls in her house just to see what's behind it. 
Like that's the kind of thing. So they thrive <laughs> like ENFPs and ENTPs. Those are the two types that lead with extroverted intuition. They would be all about the newness of the experiences. Like I need more new information, new experiences. They probably are going to get bored pretty easily. They're going to need something new to activate that extroverted intuition. Hmm. That's cool. That kind of person sounds pretty awesome when you describe it that way. Yeah, they really are. ENFPs and ENTPs both um, are amazing. I mean, all types are amazing, of course, but that extroverted intuition is actually nicknamed exploration. It explores everything in the external world. I like that because it's usually considered so negative. Like the stereotype is, oh, that person is running from themselves or something. But really, they're under this interpretation, they are walking straight into themselves. This is exactly who they are. So. Yeah, and it could be that they're running from themselves. Like there could be other reasons. But on the surface, looking at it just surface level, um, that is fueling who they are. Oh, that's great. Um, well, I think we can probably leave it there. We've certainly spent it your whole afternoon on this. Well, yours too. I really appreciate it. If you have more questions, please let me know. All right. Well, I'll let it sit and see because I'm sure after I ponder it, I'll think of some more things. So tell us one more time if the people listening want to give it a try and would like to talk to you, how they reach you one more time. Yeah, they can just send me an email, leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E, at lesliemcdaniel.com. And we can definitely talk about what that might look like. And I can put that in our show notes as well in case... People don't have a pen and wish they could remember. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. Talk to you next week. Bye. And a quick reminder, don't forget to tip your podcaster. This show continues only with the support of the listeners who love it. There are links to our Patreon page in the show notes or visit thebittersweetlife.net and donate through PayPal. Thank you for your support for helping keep this show going. Don't forget to tip your podcaster. 